Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm a Spurs fan based in Belfast, and uh, I was a former uh, chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Hi, I'm Jake, Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two M's. All right, well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We have to talk about what's the obvious thing. The Premier League is back. Match week one of the season is indeed upon us. Just wanted to get a quick take from you guys on what you've made of this opening week thus far. Uh, well, thanks again for having me on, Kevin. Um, it's, it's it's always exciting to get to get a new season underway, and and uh, obviously our disappointment today is sort of tempered by you know if you think back to our optimistic but uh, ultimately disappointing start to last season, and and you know how that all. <laughs> Uh, then, you know, we could probably be forgiven for being more cautiously optimistic this time around. But, um, and all, you know, also don't forget, if you look at, if you just look at the table from when Mourinho came in, then we would have ended up in the top four. So I think that the fact that he has now, you know, had a full preseason and a decent period of preparation and, you know, we're more entitled to expect him to get the best out of the squad he's, he's inherited. Uh, obviously, there's a unique situation this year with the previous season, you know, not still not quite cold. So uh, there's a different sense than usual of a, of a carryover in form. Uh, but, uh, you know, for us, the, the, I think the early fixture congestion isn't going to help, certainly. And obviously, uh, from a league perspective, clearly from a financial point of view, the clubs will be anxious to get fans back into the stands uh, as soon as they can. But the the problem is obviously that the you know the real life has a way of intervening and and infection rates seem to be creeping back up across England and and particularly where there's a potential for for localized spikes and then local restrictions on the back of that. So, you know, it's it's difficult because you want as far as possible to have the same conditions across all teams. So it wouldn't be fair to start admitting fans and then have to back it off. Uh, it, you know, if you end up with some local with some local spikes. So I think we'll, we'll 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 just have to watch the trends and hope for the best. But but you know we'll all we'll all get back eventually, uh, hopefully when it's safe and and that day you know we'll feel like every team will think they've won the league. Um, on on the field, uh, you know obviously our first game was a very disappointing performance, and uh, I know there, there were, you know there were chances at both ends. Everton were clearly the better team today and if we're honest we we didn't deserve anything out of that game um it's been reported that you know that's the first time jose has lost a an opening day game in his career uh there was certainly a lot for him to think about after that but but definitely ancelotti had a better game plan got the better of him today uh and everton's new signings looked very impressive indeed they looked like they'd, they'd played together uh previously to and and alan uh certainly uh, combined well and and James looks like you know he could have a season so uh I mean when you look back on it there wasn't a 10 minute period in the whole game when you could say we were even close to dominating um but it's early to to be this spursy but it, it gives us something to improve on and, and we need to do that pretty quickly uh and we talked about the opening fixtures the way the opening league fixtures fall uh, we, we, we have a decent opportunity, I think, to get into our stride and, and lock away some points over the first couple of months, which, you know, we're going to need by the time we hit November. And then we have that difficult um, trifecta of games against City, Chelsea, and then uh, the first North London derby against uh, what looks to be a very tasty Arsenal team this year. Uh, but obviously, you know, we need to step up considerably from that first um, the first performance. And, and one other thing, obviously, to 
to think about uh, at the start of this season, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about more about that later, is is the particularly lengthy transfer window. Um, it doesn't close till uh, October the 16th. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little trickier to get an idea of what any team is going to look like uh, by Christmas. So, you know, there's there's a lot to... A lot to forget in that opening, <laughs> that opening exchange, but uh, a lot to be optimistic for. I hope and fingers crossed um, from a safety perspective, we can we can think about at least getting getting fans back to games uh, as soon as possible. Yeah, it felt slightly strange. I think I, it would be weird if it didn't, given that a lot of us are so like football dominates our lives in such a way. Like it, you revolve around the sport, and you know, for me personally. Going to games is a huge part of what our kind of weekends are based around or our midweeks for nine months of the year. So to not be going to a game and having not been to a game since March, um, it's a really, really strange feeling. And I don't know, I, I'm tempted to say that it has lost a little bit of its edge purely because I think fans obviously add so much to matches. But at the same time, I think the overwhelming feeling for me personally is just like, I'm just so glad that we get football at all at this stage. Like considering what could have been, I think it's, it's remarkable that the Premier League have organised themselves in such a way that it's allowed us to have such comprehensive um, coverage, if you like, and like as comprehensive schedule as we have, because I think, you know, it's an unprecedented situation. I hate that word now. I've heard it so many times, but it does feel like a lot of people have done a lot of things for the greater good in terms of enabling the game to be played, you know, for fans. And although, okay, yeah, Steve's completely right. It will feel like a win for everybody when fans are back in stadiums, particularly clubs as well from a revenue perspective. But at the same time, I think just the ability to have that distraction is super important. And I'm kind of totally appreciating it at the moment because I think it, it, it gives you a break from the relentless kind of stuff that, even though it might be coming around to a, you know, it's not going to come to an end. But the fact is that it's a difficult situation. If there is a second spike in England or whatever, hopefully football isn't a casualty of that and it can keep the morale up and make sure that, you know, there is at least that nice distraction that keeps a lot of this country occupied on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I agree with what uh, Steve and Jim have said there. It's, it's still a bit weird. And, and for me, I don't feel like I've had to come down from the previous season yet. Like Watching the games this weekend, it hasn't felt to me like it's a new season. Um, it's still still a bit of a just... I mean, there's new players to watch and uh, it's been good seeing them, but it's still difficult to sort of think, oh, the, the last season's finished and the new one started. Because normally you get a, a, a much bigger gap than we currently we have had. And to come straight off of international as well, it just feels quite bizarre but I guess it's it's just the reality of the situation everybody's in and, and it is good that they've managed to get the games back on um it and, and I think last weekend on the pod we talked about um the TV and and that some of the games weren't going to be televised and that's been resolved yeah. in the last week so all the matches were on which I think is a good thing because if they hadn't have done that if they would have had the three or four games this weekend that weren't on TV I think that that would have really soured the start of the season for me. But um, it's good that they've got those games on and hopefully they can find a, um, a an answer ongoing to, to make sure that all these games get televised so at least some fans are in the stadium and probably till everybody gets back into the stadium, there should be some sort of arrangement for fans of individual teams to watch matches. So I'm glad that, they, that, that is available now and uh, hopefully that continues. But yeah, for me, it's just been a bit weird um, I'm, I've not had the come down from last season and I'm still sort of adjusting to the fact that we are now on three points and not 40 odd. It's a bit weird, but yeah, it's, it's good to have the football back. And, and as Jim said, it's good for morale and hopefully the Premier League doesn't have any further disruption this season. And this time next year, it is back to normal in the football calendar because it, it still feels a bit weird to me. I think you guys are all absolutely spot on. For me, it, it's like I didn't miss football yet <laughs> by the time it came back, especially after the weird season that Tottenham had, is I think I needed a good gap to be like, well, whatever we get to see, at least it'll be football again. I mean, Champions League final was what, like three weeks ago? <laughs> it, it certainly hasn't fe- felt like much time in between at all. Um, obviously exciting for the new season. It is exciting to see all those numbers go back to zero after a disappointing uh, season as a Spurs fan. Jake, like you said, just... The 40 points last year, although staying up, obviously, of note. And then Jim, obviously, a disappointing backside at the end of the year. So nice to start anew and start afresh. But 
like you guys said, it, it doesn't really feel like that's what's happened um, for some strange reason. Uh, well, the reason is that there was basically no time in between the two seasons, I suppose. Uh, we'll move from there into talking about something a little bit more on the exciting side, which was obviously with it being a new campaign, which player or, or team has surprised you either based on what we saw last season or or some of the teams that got promoted perhaps? Uh, well, I think in, in terms of teams, from what I've seen so far this weekend, it, it's hard not to say Leeds, really, after that uh, amazing opening game against Liverpool. Um, I was really impressed by the way they work hard, they press, they never gave up. And, and you know, the important thing was they never they never believed they were beaten until they actually were. And, and uh, it's impossible, I think, not to think of Bielsa and Pochettino in the same thought, you know. But, but actually, in a, in a strange way, when I was watching the highlights of that, well, probably another Argentinian uh, uh, manager, player and manager came to mind when you think about Ozzy Ardiles' famous five at, at Tottenham. You know, the, the mindset was, well, we might score three, but it's really likely that we might concede four, but it'll definitely be entertaining. And that's <laughs> that was kind of the, the sense that I got from it. But um, but it's it, it's fair to say a lot of people obviously tip leads to do well this year based on based on how they played last season. Uh, and it, I think it's very fair to expect them to to at least do the best of the three promoted teams. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they ended up um, doing as well as, as Sheffield United did last season when they came up. Uh, as far as individual players, I mean, I mentioned uh, Everton's new signings that I was I was impressed with today. And, and you do get the feeling, again, that that James Rodriguez is going to be uh, is going to be he's still only 29. I mean, he still has. Uh, tremendous potential, I think, to uh, to make his mark on the on the, especially since he's working with a coach that that clearly appreciates what he can do uh, from from a previous uh, previous ma- uh, managerial um, a, a relationship. Uh, but I think Jim, you, you have to give a nod to Jimmy Vardy. You know, picking up where he left off last season as the oldest Golden Boot winner. Um, you know, when when he's healthy and he's on form, you know, Leicester's. Fortunes depend on him as much as ours depend on Harry, uh, and and the key the key word there is healthy, and I think Harry uh, didn't look fully fit today, uh, and I, although I think it's it's too early to panic, I think that's definitely something worth considering in that context. Yeah, Steve's kind of taken up all the good answers there, I guess. Um, in terms <laughs> of, I think Leeds would be the neutrals' choice, and I think they will be the neutral's choice for quite a lot of this season because of how um, kind of friendly their playing style is to watch, I guess, especially if, a, a, you know, if we get every single game on TV for a big proportion of this season, they're going to get a lot of people's attention as like their second team, for example, um, purely based on, on how entertaining they are to watch, which is obviously fantastic. And like they, I think they, can count themselves quite unlucky um, coming out of the, the Liverpool game of the defeat because I thought the, they were the, they were the better team for large parts of that. I think there was just a little bit of an experience towards the end, um, particularly with the second penalty. You know, like just don't don't dive in there, don't give Fabinho the opportunity to go down because Liverpool were really struggling to create any clear cut chances at that point and uh, Leeds' tails were up and they were attacking as they will do under Bielsa no matter what and yeah I felt a bit sorry for them really that they came out of that with um, a defeat and no points because particularly starting a new season you know you don't get many tougher games than Liverpool um, so I, I felt a bit sorry for them um, I actually thought Newcastle were pretty good like I know Jake's on the call and he'll probably talk about them in a little bit more detail but as bad as West Ham were good, I thought Newcastle were pretty decent. Like I was very, very impressed with with Callum Wilson. I thought his work rate was was solid, um, and obviously Jeff Hendrick capped his debut with a nice goal as well as an assist. And I think they're two quite astute signings in terms of like, okay, it's not always the best thing to do to buy proven Premier League players. Sometimes you overpay for kind of middle of the road signings, but I think Wilson's undoubtedly an upgrade. Um, in the final third for Newcastle. And like we've seen over several seasons with Bournemouth that he can do it. And actually, if he gets the service, um, which he, he will hopefully get at Newcastle, then it's more um, likely that, you know, he's back in that England picture potentially and he, he's playing his best stuff. I think Andy Carroll's performance was very, very noteworthy yesterday. I thought it was back to the Andy Carroll that got that big money move to, to Liverpool 
way back when, like the, his control of the ball on his chest, like the way that he was bossing the West Ham centre-backs and just kind of always proved an effective out ball. Now, obviously, a lot of that is depending on him being fit. And I won't, you know, jinx him, hopefully, by saying, you know, I hope I see more of that. But he was very, very impressive. And I just thought he kind of rolled back the ears a little bit. And he was one of the most noteworthy performances of the weekend, despite not being on the score sheet. But I thought his output was really, really solid, especially in tandem with uh, with Wilson on his debut. I think he made Wilson's job a whole lot easier because he occupies defenders. You can't really not double-team Andy Carroll, which I think will help Wilson get open a lot more often. Um, and obviously his ability to hold the ball up will really help as well. Um, because if Liverpool, if, if Newcastle are going to play like a defensive kind of deep line style and try that out ball, he's the ideal candidate for that because it gives you the opportunity for guys like some Max Man to get up the field um, and give him options. So yeah, I was really impressed with Andy Carroll and hopefully he stays fit and he's just able to to put more of that on the field because I think he's always been capable. I think we know that it's just the inability to stay fit and it's just so frustrating for whichever club he's happening to play at, at that time. Um, so, yeah, I think he'd, he'd probably be my underrated one slightly below the radar. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll start with uh, Jim to come with the Newcastle. Because I think we'll probably, I think us and Palace might have caused the biggest surprises mm. in, in against what pre-season expectations would have been. Because I saw lots of people sort of putting us or Palace, um, or sometimes both in their bottom three. So, I, I thought, thought we played quite well. Um, as Jim said, Andy Carroll was a surprise selection, but he, he did look fitter than he has done since he's resigned for us. And he did put in quite a good performance. Um, I think the we all, we're going to be a team that doesn't dominate possession. We we haven't been since we come back into the Premier League, and it's probably going to stay that way. But I think we're looking a little bit better at um, pushing off the pitch. I think um, with Carroll in the team, you do have that out ball, uh, and with St. Maximin as well, he you just see two or three defenders on him, practically murdering him at times, and, and that does create space for others. We saw Wilson getting quite a lot of space. Uh, Hendrick got in quite a lot of space. Shelby gets forward and gets into space. So it does create um, space for others. So I think having them both in the team, they just give you slightly different threats and they're both threats that opposition defences are not that good at dealing with. So yeah, it was, it was quite a good performance from us. And I, I think Palace as well, the amount of injuries they've got, um, they, they they did really well against Southampton. I think Guaita made a couple of decent saves, but they were they were quite a good value for their three points. And I thought that Zaha looked as good as he has done in the last two years for me. He looked really motivated. And I'm, I know there's some speculation that he might still move on and he might, but I think the, you know, bringing in Eze and Batshuayi is only going to give him the motivation to step it up at Palace and maybe stay there. So they're looking um, like they could finish uh, a little bit higher this season. Um, with Hodgson, they're always going to be well-organised, but I thought with that attacking uh, quality they have brought in, they might be um, a little bit better um, in the final third and better value to finish higher up the table. Um, yeah, I think I think us and uh, Palace have both had really good weekends and might have changed a few opinions that, that may be lingering from the end of last season. Um, and I, I do agree on Leeds to an extent, but I, when I was watching that game, uh, I just think if they're going to play like that, I really don't think it's going to then going to finish as highly as people think they are. Um, uh, expected goals, some people don't like them. But if you looked at the expected goals for that game, like Liverpool were about three to about 0.3 to lead. So the, 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 they had four shots in the whole game, three on target, and it's unlikely they're going to score at such a high rate if, if that's all they're creating. Of course, it, it is against Liverpool. Uh, and, and against um, worse teams, they are going to create more chances and have more of the ball. But their biggest strength in the championship was limiting chances against by dominating possession. And I don't think they're going to do that in the Premier League. I, I just have a few doubts about the, some of the individual quality. And as good as, good as the team is as a whole and as good as Bielsa is, I, um, I just think if they do lose a few games at the start... and it, we saw it with Norwich last year. They came up with such enthusiasm and that does slowly start to drain. And we know Bielsa is a coach that is has never really got anything going long term. And I'm just not as convinced as others. Watching that this weekend, uh, before, the, before the season started, I was pretty convinced Leeds will step. But watching that at the weekend, I'm just thinking, mate, are, are people too soon to write Leeds into the Premier League as, as a fixed chance? I, I still, still think they could be involved at the bottom of the table. Um and yeah, I, 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 it was really entertaining to watch, and their pressing is 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 a bit crazy, but I just don't know how sustainable it is. 
um, in the Premier League against some of the better um, some of the better teams, especially. Um, be interesting to see how they're doing against Fulham next week, and uh, I'd expect that to be uh, back to how they were at the Championship. But mm. um, yeah, I, I'm not as hot on them as I was before the season. I feel like I'm one of the few that that watched that game and have come out of it rating leads a little bit less. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm just I'm just concerned about how open they were at the back. It it uh, it, was, it, it was Liverpool, but I just think that four three wasn't the fairest reflection of that game. And if anything, I think that it Liverpool might. If they played that game a hundred times, Liverpool probably run out bigger winners a lot of those times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe not popular one, and, and slightly against the 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 majority of leads, but I'm I'm not as convinced as others. All right, well, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Uh, sounds like Steve and Jim are way more in the pro, and you're in the official anti leads camp. So everybody tweet him at Jake Jackman with two ends. Uh, we'll finish up by talking about a club that certainly looks set to struggle uh, in West Ham. The Athletic ran a poll before the season started of all the Premier League fan bases to see which were the most or least excited for the new season. West Ham finished very last with just 8.8% of the responding fans thinking that they were excited for the season. Obviously a lackluster opening match against Jake's dominant Newcastle. Um what what do we think needs to change at West Ham to get them playing at their best on the pitch? Because they always have loads of talented players. It just isn't clicking. And to maybe reconnect with the fan base off the pitch. I, I just think it's as simple as consistency, uh, Kev. I think, you know, obviously, clearly the fans aren't and haven't been happy with Moyes. And they're, they're, they're entitled to expect him to get his team playing to their potential. And as you said, I mean, they they have some really good if inconsistent players or, or not getting them to click all at the same at the same time. I mean, players like Antonio Lanzini or, or Haller are all, you know, very decent players. Uh, but then by the same token, they have players like Rice and Fredericks who, you know, give them something solid to build on, I think. Um, although I, I, I see that Fredericks has, has recently been linked with Southampton. So, you know, who knows where we'll be at the end of the, uh, of the transfer window. But, yeah, he's he's going to have to, um, you know, they have they have a really challenging few games coming up now until the end of October. Uh, it's actually a pretty pretty tough uh, uh, fixture list uh, for the for the first month or so. Um, so Moises, he's going to need to at least demonstrate some kind of resilience that they definitely didn't show yesterday, uh, and he has to try and turn that around pretty quickly. As as for the fans' attitude, I totally I totally get that. I get the um, the fact that they're 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 ticked off, I, and I still think there is a, a hangover. If you think back, you know the difficulties that went along with their move to the Olympic Stadium. Uh, you know, I have a couple of West Ham friends and, and none of them were remotely happy about how that whole process was handled. Um, you know, the reallocation of the season tickets and that and that sort of thing. So I, I think there is a kind of a residual hostility towards the board um, over that, that, uh, that the team and the manager, whoever it is, uh, are, are going to have to work extra hard to, to win them over. Um, but you know, they, they have good players. They, they just need to get them clicking together. And I think, um, you know, they, 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 uh, they have a, they have a, a, a high mountain to climb, uh, in the next few weeks. So it's, it's going to be a challenge for Moyes, certainly. Something is not right at West Ham. I know it's one game and you shouldn't overreact to one game, small sample size, et cetera, et cetera. But that performance, I'm like, there's some like and I think coupled with the social media posts that a lot of players put out uh, uh, about uh, Dean Garner being sold um over the last week or so it just seems like there's this perpetual problem with West Ham where and it ha- it's happened twice with David Moyes now like so he comes in does a half decent job then the wheels fall off and then they sacked him last time and now he's back and he did a decent job ish and now the wheels look like they might be falling off again. I mean, I'm just not sure what to, I don't think it's one particular thing. I think the whole club's kind of set up and the ethos and that kind of thing, like it just seems like they're completely like, cause they should be half decent. Like Steve said, they've got talent in that team. And I just think if you can't put in a more, if you're struggling in week one to put in like a decent performance, like that against a team with all due respect to Newcastle, who you know they they were favourites to win that game. They're at home. 
yeah, okay, it's not always about who's favourite and upsets happen, et cetera, et cetera. But I just didn't see the fight there. I didn't see the heart there that made me think that they're going to be well set up for a potential scrap at the bottom end of the Premier League if it ends up down there. I mean, and their next five games, I think, are really, really tricky. They've got a real horrible run to start. And yeah, okay, you've got to play everyone twice in the Premier League season. I understand that. But if you're David Moyes and you're staring down the barrel of zero points after six games, things are going to get very, very tricky um, very quickly. And I just think there's there's every chance that they go down this year based on you know a few different factors. But it just seems like things aren't quite right at the core and that's very rarely a good sign. Yeah, okay, we, we've got question marks over whether you know Jake's said that he, he doesn't think Leeds are quite what they've cracked up, been cracked up to be in. I'm not, I've not been, I don't think anyone can point to the displays from West Brom and Fulham this weekend as like Premier League calibre. Um, so West Ham might be in a situation where they're the fourth worst potentially, um, you know, and stay up by the skin of their teeth. But I would not be surprised if they're in a, a real relegation dogfight come the end of this season at all. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one with West Ham because... As much as I said about Leeds, like there is optimism there, and I feel like optimism does a lot for a club. Um, I mean, it's taken Newcastle. Um, this these series of polls that the Athletic were running for uh, to to gain this um, sort of negative um, optimism thing that uh, the article they ran. They ran a Newcastle one a few weeks ago, and and eight percent of Newcastle fans came out optimistic. And then they reran it after the signings, which is what they ultimately used. And I think it was 51, <laughs> um, 49% were po- uh, optimistic. So, I mean, if we're, ask- if we're asking what can West Ham do to increase optimism, it's probably to go and buy a couple of players. I mean, that's the- football fans are fickle at the end of the day. And-, and-, and I think that's what the players probably want to see as well. You know, seeing a young, talented player go out the door, it's difficult to understand now, but if they can see there's a plan to it, oh, we we have to to bring these players in. You might you might be a little bit more understandable to it, but they've not they've done nothing really um, apart from sign sign Suchek, who they had last season. Then nobody else has come in. I know they're going after James Karkowski, um, who would be a good signing, but he he does seem um, to be quite an expensive centre back because they don't seem to be putting up the sort of money that Burnley will want. Um, so it's difficult to see what their plan was to sell him, like. If they could, I, I think if they signed a couple of players um, and got a win, got a couple of wins, got a few good performances, like it would quickly turn. It does. Football fans are fickle. I see it at Newcastle. Like it, it can go from doom and gloom to, to optimistic and talking about pushing on for the top ten in a couple of weeks. It's, it it happens. Uh, so West Ham aren't in an irretrievable situation. But looking at up their, their upcoming games, they got Arsenal next, Wolves at home, Leicester away, Spurs away, Man City at home, Liverpool away. That's seven weeks, and yeah. can you really see them taking any points from that? They probably will. The way football goes, they probably will get something <laughs> from somewhere. But like now, if I was a gambling man and I wanted to to say a West Ham going to get a point, but then I'd say no. And then if they they haven't taken a point by the seventh week and they played seven games got no points, it's very difficult to see them staying up from that position because you know it's. That's seven. That's, you know, that's quite a big portion of the season. Then, even after that, they got Fulham at home, Sheffield United away, like it's, Aston Villa at home, Manchester United at home. It's not like it gets that much easier. It's um, yeah, it's difficult. I, and you know, the, the worst thing that West Ham could do now is, is to sell Declan Rice, and I don't think that's totally off the table either. Um, like it, Chelsea clearly want him. They're clearly spending all the money they have, and they'll probably be looking at the situation thinking we could probably get him out of there this this window um he's he will he he will probably want to move it seems like uh, most of the players are unhappy there and the, the the ownership team open to selling important players so if that did happen like there would be no return for west ham from that it they're at such a it, they're at a point now yes they've lost one game but they've got 37 more and they can they can you know fix this situation they can bring in a few players they can put in some better performances. Um, they're probably going to be helped by the fact that there's no fans in stadiums at the moment um, because we saw the atmosphere there before. Um, I think it was in a Burnley game, wasn't it, when they're, um, people were trying to get into the director's boxes and it was just such a toxic atmosphere. Um, 
we've seen what it can get like at, at the London Stadium. So they're probably thankful there's not fans in at the moment. But even when fans return, are, are that many uh, going to want to go there? It's yeah, it's it's not looking good. Um, and and the game on Saturday, and watching it as, as a Newcastle fan, I just I felt like that was the longer that went on, it just became obvious that we were the better team in that game and that we were more motivated and we were going to go on and win that game. Um, and, and we did it as it went on. But there, there are some good players in that squad. Um, they should have a bit of money to spend, in theory. Um, and David Moyes, he's he's not the manager he once was, but he's solid enough. Like, if Steve Bruce can, can go on and deliver winning football in the Premier League, David Moyes can as well. Um I'm not totally doom and gloom on them, but if I was a supporter of West Ham, it would be difficult to see where the optimism was coming from. And looking at those next six fixtures, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It sure does. Uh, we've already spent a lot of time talking about West Ham, so I'll just look for a single word from you guys. But do you think David Moyes is still West Ham's manager after that run of seven games? Uh, yeah, that's too early. Nope, I think he's gone if they don't get much from that. I think they'd move quickly. Hey, who's um, who else could they get? Eddie Howe. It might, it, yeah, it might be the next man up at that point. If they're staring down the barrel of naught points after seven games, do you then is David Moore's a hundred million pound man in to, to keep you up from there? And uh, the, the thing is, they've sacked him before for less. So I just think that the owners would push the panic button. Like those owners particularly would push it a lot quicker than other clubs would if they were starting to, especially if teams like West Ham, uh, sorry, West Brom and Fulham start to pick up points. Mm. And I think it's it's more about the conditions around you. If you've that got sense. three three teams down there that are on like three points after seven games, then yeah, you might, okay, we're not that many points from safety. But I just think, th- th- I can't see them taking too many points from that. They'll probably win three out of the next seven now, make me look a moron. But I just think <laughs> that... The, the chances are that they're going to be struggling to take too much from that. And like, then it starts becoming like, Oh, people get a bit nervous. There's probably an international break or something coming up. And then they start wondering and, and looking over their shoulders thinking we can't with a stadium like that. I know there's no fans there, but they, you know, that hundred million is, is massive in TV money, probably more this season with all the extra games as well. Hmm. I don't think he'll be there. If, um, if they yeah. do uh, lose those matches. Hmm. Who right. mentioned Eddie Howe? Who who mentioned Eddie Howe? Jake. Yeah. Jake. That that's a really interesting call. What, what uh, do you think he'll stay out of football for the full season, or what? What do you think? Where do you think he'll end up? I don't, I don't know. I, I just think if they if they were to make a managerial change, he he's the most obvious one they would go for. I think he he's been linked there before, and he's he's available. But um, if they did lose those matches and were in the bottom three, maybe Sam Allardyce might be the safer call of that. Mm. <laughs> also, the the soul-crushing option, considering he hasn't been touted for any of the big jobs that have come available as Pochettino. If the concern is that there's a lack of, of interest in connecting each of the segments from the players to the fans to the ownership, Pochettino came into a bit of a mess at Tottenham and made everything feel unified again. I'm not saying I want him to go there, but if I'm West Ham, he's my first call. You've got nothing to worry about, Kev. There's absolutely <laughs> no way Pochettino goes there. Um, he, he was he was a shoe in for the Juve job not long ago, and now he's looking down the barrel of a West Ham relegation battle. I think it's, uh, that's, that's, well, he didn't I, I mean, get I, it. I, he immediately was, was replaced there. by someone who's never managed a football match in his life. That's a fair point. Well made. Um, <laughs> if we're throwing names around, and this is obviously very Leicester centric, but I could see someone like uh, Nigel Pearson going in there. Potentially, um, yeah, did well at Watford his, last year. That was a weird second. Yeah, and, like, and the thing is, like Eddie Howe is not the man, the hard-nosed drill master that you want to kick a team of talented but potentially difficult to manage um, players into shape to keep you in the Premier League. Whereas I could see Pearson going in there with his kind of very harsh but ultimately fair mentality and making sure that they could potentially make a good fist of it and like he would probably just take a nine-month rolling contract and he'd get take a big bonus if they stayed up and then if not his reputation is not exactly disgraced to the point where he wouldn't get a job again um, mm. so yeah i'm not i'm not i i don't have in depth knowledge of that situation and the board and everything whether he'd agree to work with them but he just strikes me as the type of man who you would go to in that situation over and eddie howe who's the softly softly maybe too soft 
if you look at the way Bournemouth went down with a bit of a whimper last season, albeit after a good spell in the league. So. I was going to say that you were like, uh, Eddie Howe might struggle to get a group of talented players to avoid relegation. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh yeah, that happened like a month ago. That's, that's a really he's good point. The, he's, the, he's the kind of man that needs a job where you've got a patient board, I think, some money and, you know, who who buy into the ethos and aren't in the, the space where they're like, we need results right now, otherwise we're down. Yeah, and don't let him anywhere near transfers or you're going to buy whatever dross Liverpool are trying to peddle at that particular time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, just on Pochettino, I think actually uh, there's probably more likelihood that Pochettino ends up uh, taking over from Bielsa at Leeds if the whole thing goes mm. tits up. That would be really interesting. Uh, they yeah. wouldn't have to deal with too much change <laughs> if that were Thanks. the case. All right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Steve, we'll start off with Tottenham. Uh, we just finished talking about West Ham and their early struggles. Tottenham. Didn't look a whole lot better, especially in the second half after Delhi Ali came off. A lot of controversial decisions by Mourinho today, obviously the main one being taking Deli Ali off at the half after which there really seemed to be a lack of any creative spark. And we've seen this lack of creative spark basically since Erickson walked out the door, or arguably even about six months before that. A lot of hopes are being pinned on LaCelso after a good debut season. Do you think that somebody will step up into that creative role, or do you think that's something that we might have to dip into the market for, even though all everyone's talking about right now is a second striker? No, I I think it's uh, Delhi's position to to win basically, and I think uh, if we if we saw anything from the Amazon uh, Prime series with uh, you know the Jose show, uh, it's how good his man management is when he's talking one on one with the players, and particularly that exchange with with Delhi. Uh, and I, I think this is an absolutely make or break season for Delhi. He needs to. Uh, be able to get his head right. He needs to be able to sort of figure out how he fits into the overall uh, pattern of of how we play. Uh, but I think Mourinho knows uh, exactly what he wants from him, uh, and I think he's he's the man to actually. Uh, I think Mourinho is ready to to take a a, a punt that he can turn it around, and uh, and I think that's a fair that's a fair bet, given what we know Delhi can do, how talented a player he is. Uh, and it's just a matter. I, th- I think, in a way, if the, if the Amazon series showed us anything, Kevin, uh, it showed us that, that Mourinho is uh, a shrewd enough uh, evaluation uh, evaluator of, of players uh, as persons, as people, than uh, that that he knows exactly what's making Delhi tick and what might be eating away at him. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, you know I'm optimistic that that Delhi will be the creative force or will be the the force that actually ties uh, our, our sort of uh, attacking midfield and strikers together uh, in the end. So, yeah, I, I I don't think, I mean, we'll come on to talk about transfers, I think, a little a little later, but I, I don't think um, we're going to go and buy someone, another creative player. And I know, you know, the, the, the talk, there was talk recently about Ericsson coming back. Uh, I don't think that's a that's a goer on either side of the equation, but you know what the hell do I know? Uh, but I I do think it's it's Delhi's position to uh, to lose certainly going forward, and I think Mourinho has has shown that he's ready to to uh, have faith in him. Yeah, and I think we'll certainly look a lot better when Lascelles is available because then you'd have both him and Deli Ali 
both looking forward. And the point of bringing in Hoybier was that he could handle all of the defensive duties. So playing him along the likes of Winks or Sissoko kind of defeats the point. When last season, the issue is that we had to keep playing Winks and Sissoko next to each other to basically accomplish the one job that we're hoping that Hoybier can accomplish. Um, you mentioned the Amazon documentary there. Obviously, that has started to come out before the season. I can't imagine too many people are going to watch tonight as we record uh, after the uh, negative emotions flowing on social media after the loss today. But what did you make of, of the documentary, at least the episodes that we've been able to see thus far? Well, I, I've watched uh, one through four. I haven't had a chance to watch the, the last two so far. Um, yeah, you, you wonder, again, it's the, it's the Jose show. You, you wonder what the producers would have done if he hadn't been the star of the show, if he hadn't been around. Uh, I, I think, as, a, as, a, as I mentioned, that, that interaction with the players, it demonstrates just how good a, a man-manager he is. Um, the way he relates to Dyer, the way he relates to Kane, as I said, Delhi, and of course, the you know that Danny Rose situation, which which is still to be resolved. So you you get the sense that he's measured the players up very very quickly, or you know, and and has known them through playing against them as well. Um, I think also the Levy relationship was very revealing, and and obviously there's some skillful editing going on there. Uh, and another thing that that came away I came away with was was really just what a gentleman Potch was as well about you know when when he was being interviewed uh, as he was as he was going out the door I mean that was that was uh, pretty impressive I have to say but I think my favorite scene was you, you've you've watched it you know the one I'm talking about the, the the one where it was Jose's first day and he's in his office and they're the Sky News or Sky Sports is on and they're talking about how <laughs> one of the the pundits think uh, Jose's passed it, you know, and uh, and his reaction is basically just to get up, walk around the desk, and expletive and turn the TV off. So, uh, it, it, you know, it you weren't really expecting to go too much behind the scenes because <clears throat> obviously creative control is going to rest with the club. It's going to rest with you know Jose's agent. The players' agents are going to have an input into it. But I, I think it's done a pretty good job at actually lifting the lid on um, the challenges of getting a group of, of individuals in whatever you know a, a task or, or endeavor you want to apply them to, just getting them all to move in the same direction and trying to understand what motivates them all as individuals. So uh, yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed it so far. And, and uh, you know, overall, this, this whole concept of the good guys don't win theme, that, which is, you know, what Mourinho has been harping on, uh, is, is a good one, particularly for us. <coughs> Pardon me. But, you know, getting this team to, to change their collective mindset and, and make, it, make that the default uh, is something that we've struggled with for years, as you know. It's a whole other challenge, but in a way, you know, you get the sense from watching this that if anyone can do that, if anyone can accomplish that, then uh, Mourinho is one one of the few I think that can do it. But again, we'll see. Well, based on today, I guess the problem is that we are still just too nice. <laughs> I will wrap up with the striker thing. Not expecting you to name any names, although we've been linked with about fifteen in the last three days. Uh, Mourinho says he wants one. He's confident that the board will supply him one. Are you confident that not only we'll get a striker, but it'll be somebody that'll actually improve us rather than just prevent a drop-off whenever Kane's out? I honestly have no idea. And this is the this is the interesting thing. I mean, who knows how we're going to progress through this? I mean, Jose is, is skilled enough at uh, managerial mind games to know that if he talks about what he needs and he doesn't get it, then that kind of gets him off the hook for... Um, for saying that you know he's not being backed, the board is somehow not backing him. Um, obviously, he talks about wanting and needing a striker, and 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 it's been a, a frequent refrain, you know, at, at Spurs in recent transfer windows. Obviously, given given Harry's propensity for injuries and and during the season, and uh, but you know he's he's he says he's also thinking about changing the way, giving us new options, and changing the way we play with with two up front and that sort of thing. But you know the challenge. Um, for, for playing someone alongside Harry has always been, you know, not just as a potential backup for him, but but how do you change your playing style to actually accommodate somebody like that? And I think in a way that's where the Troy Deeney talk has come from. Uh, you know, the idea that you could play somebody alongside uh, alongside Harry rather than just have him as a, a bench player who would come on to to replace him. 
Um, and, and then the interesting thing about Troy Deeney is, you know, I, I, I kind of always liked him um, because he's committed, but he's committed to Watford. And I don't know if you could replicate that with another with another team. But he, he gives me a Jermaine Defoe kind of vibe, this sense that, you know, people kind of write him off because he's older or, you know, not coming towards the end of his career, perhaps. But I think he really has something that he could bring to us, some kind of excitement that he could bring to us. Uh, and obviously, you know, there, there have been these two other names that have been bandied around recently that, um, that you know, the return of Bale and the, the possibility of, of getting Luis Suarez finally on, on a free. Oh, but, my gosh. Uh, yeah, frankly, I'll I'll believe either of those when I see them. But again, I mean, to be serious, I think it's less an issue uh, if we do end up with a new with a new uh, striker. I think it's less of an issue of how that player might play alongside Harry than how he might play with Sonny and mm. how we accomplish, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the current the current structure that we have. I mean, we don't want to go down a road. I think that that in any way restricts Son's game. Uh, or or changes the tactical nature of our play in order to you know to rein him in to accommodate somebody else. But uh, you know it's uh, it's it's a difficult one. I mean, so far I I, I like Hoiberg. Uh, Vertonghen was a big loss, but I, I like what Hoiberg brings. I like Doherty, um, but you know potentially uh, I think it's it's possible that uh, Alex Morgan could end up being our our <laughs> best sign. I do think the Alex Morgan signing is an incredible one for the women's league and then Tottenham's women's team in general. And I've already seen loads of American uh, guys here wanting to get a, a Morgan kit. Um, so pretty, pretty cool in that regard. Doubt that we will see her lineup for the men's team, however. All right, we'll come to you now, Jim, to talk a little bit about Leicester. Alluded to it earlier in the show, but obviously the the listing towards the end of the season led to you missing out on a Champions League place. I got to imagine it felt pretty good to see you kind of both play well and get a fairly easy win there to start the year? Yeah, it wasn't much fun for the first like 25 minutes or yeah, so. Yeah, West Brom were a little um, bit on it, you in the early stages. Yeah, it looked like same old, same old, which was super frustrating. Um, I think it, it was great to get a good win and I think it was relatively comfortable once we got 1-0 up, um, which obviously helps and but I think I'm not sure what we've beaten there with all due respect to West Brom. Like if they, they're, they're going to be relegation candidates this year. And obviously it's great that we've got three points on the board and I won't complain about that. But I think I would be tempted to say that might mask some wider issues around recruitment, particularly um, because I think there is still plenty to do in the transfer window. I think if you look at the fact that we're essentially We've sold Ben Tilwell and we've brought in Timothy Castagna, who had a fantastic debut today. And I'm super excited to see what he can bring to the team because although Atalanta were very much in the spotlight, obviously with their Champions League run and stuff and being this all-action team in Serie A last year, he wasn't always first choice. So I haven't seen that much of him and I'm looking forward to, to, to seeing what he can do based on today, but also going forward. So, But I still feel like there are cracks that need fixing rather than just papering over with, you know, a good win or over a um, relatively, you know, um, favorable opponent, shall we say. Yeah, you mentioned Castagna there, and I did want to talk about that. Obviously, a little bit of change for you at the wing back positions with Pereira still not back on the right, and then obviously Chilwell sold on the left. It, it was a source of a lot of strength for you last season. Are you confident that, that with the new signing and with uh, Justin stepping up that, that you'll be able to cover those positions at least moderately well this year? For now, um, I'm still not convinced by Justin yet. and But I don't think that's, you know, that's just hit him as a young-ish prospect. I don't think he is the finished product yet. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If you look at... The fact is he's been shoved into the spotlight in difficult circumstances when a lot of our squad were kind of like winding down for the end of the season and stuff and obviously missing out on a, a Champions League place and things like that. So he's faced difficult circumstances and he um, got fouled for the second penalty today. So I think he, he you know, he's he likes to get forward and he's a natural left back. He played left back at Luton for the vast majority of his time there. So he's he's now back to his more preferred side rather than being the guy who's just slotting in to cover Ricardo Pereira. Um, but 
I would still worry if our main fullback options at left back were him and uh, Christian Fuchs for an entire season. That said, I think Castagna can play both sides. Um, and I think he has yeah. done in the past for Atalanta, from what I understand. So in theory, I would think the first choice would be to shift him over to left back in the long run and put Ricardo Pereira back in at right back as first choice because he isn't going to keep Ricardo Pereira out of the team. However, I do also think there's a little bit of a rogue option here, which is to slot, to keep Castagna at right back. If Justin kicks on at left back or we sign another one, which is eminently possible given that we sold Ben Chilwell, I think, you know, I don't think anyone would be surprised if we brought in another fullback um, on that basis and then put Ricardo Pereira as like a winger because he played, he, he basically plays like a winger um, masquerading as a fullback. So if we're struggling for output, particularly on that right-hand side where Ozzy Perez isn't particularly comfortable, we don't have like a natural winger that's holding down that position, I'd be tempted to give him a go in midfield. He's not physically gifted, obviously, um, but he does perfectly fine in defence where that's more of an issue than it is if you're a tricky midfielder, you know, winger. He's got pace, he can cross the ball and he can shoot. So, I'd be interested to see what would happen if we really felt like the Castagna Pereira stack, if you like, was was the best option for the right wing. That'd be really, really interesting. All right, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And then just a quick one for you. Obviously, James Madison's been missing for a while. His absence kind of correlated with your downfall, as did Pereira's. Do you think people are kind of sleeping on him coming into this season? I don't know about sleeping on him, but he's had a new contract, um, so that should tie him down for at least one more year. I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like next season's Ben Chilwell, where he moves on to a big club and gets a big payday somewhere else. Um, I just think, yeah, he he's he's a real source of creativity, which is something that we sadly look to be lacking today. Until like Dennis Pratt stepped up, which is fantastic to see, because we've not seen that much of him in that creative role. So. Yeah, I think maybe he's gone under the radar rather than being slept on. Like I think people probably forget because he missed the, the very end of last season. Perhaps he's being he's being overlooked a little bit. Um, but hopefully he's back to to starting next week against Burnley, and then we we see him in his full creative potential. Cool. And then Jake, coming to you, we already talked about the win a little bit earlier, but we didn't really get a chance to dive into the signings. You made three last week after what looked like was going to be a really weird window after the the buyout obviously fell through. Um, You obviously brought in Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser, both previously at Bournemouth. Then you bring uh, in Lewis at left back, which is obviously a big position of need after the Rose loan didn't work and and the previous one ended because of injury. Uh, Are you excited to get all of those three in? It seems like they all clicked fairly well in that in that first match against West Ham. Yeah, it was um, good to get new players in. Obviously, I think it, it was needed. Um, following what happened over the summer, it, there was very little optimism going into the new season. But then that those three um, signings came in and it sort of picked up the mood, and you could see the impact it had on the pitch. And um, we looked definitely a more coherent um, team than we did last year. Um, just having that focal point of a player that knows how to score goals is so important. Um, I even thought post-lockdown we looked a lot better last season with Gale playing. and Wilson's sort of a similar type of player to Gale. Um, probably has a little bit more about his game than Gale, but they're both players that take up good positions. And we obviously saw that with Wilson's goal yesterday. He was in the right position at the right time and managed to capitalise um, and get a goal. Whereas last season, for the majority, you wouldn't have seen Joe Ellington in those sort of positions. So it's good to see... Wilson playing, and it, it definitely seemed like he was raring to go and sort of prove his doubters wrong um, after his uh, relegation with Bournemouth. I think people are starting to write him off a little bit, and um, he, he's obviously coming back and he's got a point to prove in the Premier League, and we can only benefit from that. Um, but Lewis was really good at left back. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of joy down that flank um, playing um, behind St. Maximum because we. We see it every week that it's a bit like Zaha at Palace. Like teams target same action yesterday. I think he was the most fouled player in the Premier League, which just doesn't surprise me. And in the first half, he was getting no protection from the referee. Some of the tackles going in on him uh, without getting carded were, were a little bit ridiculous. Um, and and I think it's probably something he's going to have to learn to deal with because it, teams can see he's a he's a threat and he's he's a threat when he's running with the ball. So the easiest way to stop that is to take him out early. So he, he's going to get used to that, but. I think the benefit from from having Lewis is um, 
as opposed to maybe Paul Summer, who might have played a left back, um, is that he has the energy to get up and down the line. He can push on uh, beyond St. Maximum. There's a few times yesterday where he got in behind and got crossing opportunities. So I think that's going to be uh, an avenue that we get some joy out of this season, especially with Wilson taking up the right positions in the box. Um, so yeah, that, that's encouraging. And whereas last season, yeah, we had uh, Shelby with six goals, our top scorer. It was difficult to see where the goals were going to come from. Um, but this year, watching the game yesterday, um, I think you can see that we're going to create more chances. Um, we're going to have the players there to score them, which I think is only a positive. Um, thought Hendrick was really good as well. I think he's gone under the radar. He, he came in a, a few weeks ago now, but he had a really good game on, on the right. And he sort of, him playing on the right reminded me a little bit of Joey Barton playing there. Um, when we were in, the, uh, I think it's the 10-11 season when he played there a lot for Newcastle on the right. Um, you know, maybe more of a central midfielder, but he, he works hard. He can um, drop inside to, to um, beef up the midfield and he can, he, he can get forward and provide a, a bit of energy on that flank as well. He was, he was, his performance is really underrated and um, I think he's going to offer something. Uh, and we haven't seen Fraser yet, but I think I think he'll probably play in the League Cup this week. So it'd be good to see him. And, and like Wilson, I think he'll have a point to prove, especially the way he left Bournemouth um, and not coming back after the restart. He, he's going to have a lot of doubters as well and he's going to want to go out there and, and show that he can perform at, at Premier League level again and that last season was a one-off and not the one before where he got, I think, 12 or 13 assists. Um, I'd, I'd imagine that his ability is somewhere between the two, but I think he's going to offer something. Uh, the only thing with Fraser is, is that he likes to play on the left wing and that's where St. Maximum plays. So I just don't know how Bruce fits them both in um, and, and there's Almiron to fit in as well. So that's a few headaches for, for Bruce up front, really. Uh, I'd expect him probably to move St. Maximum to the right. I don't think it really matters where he is on the pitch as long as he's on there. He's so dangerous wherever he plays um, and and as the season goes on I, I don't think Andy Carroll is going to be playing every week um, it would be stupid to play him every game knowing his injury record so I think we'll see uh, a little bit more rotation up front but with, with Fraser um, Hendrick and Wilson coming in um, and Almiron St Maximum Jolinson and Carroll still at the squad uh, still in the squad it looks like we've got a few options up there so um Whereas last year we were relying on defenders and Shelby for goals. Hopefully this year we've got um, strikers that can score them and sort of forward players that can contribute as well. Um, we saw that yesterday when Almiron came on. He got an assist and he also had a, a chance to score himself. He looked quite dangerous there. And having having the squad depth to have the, the option to bench players like Almiron and Fraser is only going to benefit us. Um, having players like that coming off the bench, I think it's going to be an asset we didn't have last year. So, um, yeah, I think I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about the season after those signings and that performance yesterday. Um, I think it's important to start with a win. If we'd have lost yesterday, um, you know, the, the optimism can quickly can quickly fade, but we've got something to build on now. And, um, yeah, a little bit more optimistic than when I was predicting relegation <laughs> a few weeks ago. Yeah, and then that was going to be my follow-up question is with these signings, do you now have them kind of out of that relegation race or, and just safe, safe, or still might be in the fight, but but more likely to stay up despite it? Yeah, I think, I think we'll still be in the fight. Um, I think last year um, we were fortunate not to go down. I've said that quite a few times. Um, our performances weren't great, and it was only sort of, sort of post-lockdown that our performances were starting to back up our results, whereas before we were getting a little bit fortunate to get some of the wins we were getting. Um, but the performances did improve post-lockdown and the, the performance yesterday was good as well. So I, I think we'll be down there, but I think we, with those signings coming in, we should have enough quality now to, to get through um, and, and get to 40 points again. Not that you normally need 40 points, but I can imagine us having a a, a midlish season. I could see us finishing sort of 15th, 16th. Um, but at this point for Newcastle, it, the aim is always to stay up. And, and and while Mike Ashley is trying to sell the club, he, he is trying to sell the club. And I'm sure somewhere in the next two or three years, he will sell it. So it's just trying to, to maintain our Premier League status till that happens. So, yeah, I, I think that we, I think we'll stay up. Um, but, yeah, if you ask me again in a few weeks' time, that might change. <laughs> but I think seeing West Brom and Fulham this weekend um, and West Ham, I just... I mean, they're three teams that I'd expect us to be better than over the course of the season. So, yeah, we should stay up. Gotcha. And then following up on a question from a couple of weeks ago, uh, Wilson, now your top scorer for your guest for the year? If he stays, if he stays fit, yeah. Yep. Cool. 
All right, we will wrap up with Player Watch where we'll quickly go through and discuss some positions that our club probably needs to address before the end of the transfer window. Steve, we'll start off with you, and it seems fairly obvious from the outside looking in and the inside looking in. Uh, yeah, I think we've covered the, the striker uh, situation um, for uh, Kevin. I, I think, yeah, I mean, that an awful lot depends on how that gets resolved. Uh, we've also talked, I think, about the Deli Alley situation and that um, Deli Alley and Lachelso and how they uh, are going to uh, contribute for the rest of the for the rest of the year. Uh, it's the creative it's the creative side. I mean, we we definitely need someone to to have that creative spark. I think Deli is the is the player, as I say, to to take that uh, that mantle. Uh, the striker thing, you know, I, I'm not honestly sure how that's going to resolve itself. Uh, I can't um, imagine us uh, spending the sort of money. Uh, uh, that that would be required to to get another uh, world class striker. Uh, we we just got knocked back on uh, uh, the guy from Napoli whose name escapes me. Uh, uh, sorry, drawn a blank on his name. But I I, I mean the the minimum we're Milk. talking about there. Yeah, that's right. Thirty five forty million pounds for for another striker of that caliber. And I I just I can't see us doing that at the moment. Uh, that's not where we are uh, as an organization, not as a team. So I I think um, you know the the the, the short term uh, situation with the striker uh, is going to be interesting how it resolves itself. The uh, the creative side of it I think is um, is something also that that is going to have to be addressed. If it's clear that Delhi's not going to work out on that role, and uh, we'll we'll have to see how Lachelso um, how Lichelso matures and and has a second season. So <clears throat> I think there's an awful lot of things that. Um, Still, so far, we we can't make a decision until I would say Christmas, until we get a, a sense of where we are going into the winter transfer window and and what we need, what we still need uh, at the end of at the end of those uh, three months, the first three months. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, in a way, as as we were saying earlier, the needs that we have are the needs that we've had yeah. uh, for 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 quite a while. So um, nothing has changed really there. All right, coming to you then, Jim, you still got some of the Chilwell money left. Any holes that you think you'll be filling before the end of the window? Yeah, a few, hopefully. Um, we could do with some centre-back cover. Um, we're extremely light there at the moment. Um, Wes Morgan obviously can't be relied upon week to week anymore. So with Sion Chu and Johnny Evans um, being the first choice pair. And we basically had to play, um, because Evans is suspended, um, from his red card against United at the end of last season, we had to play Wilfred and Didi at centre back today, which is not a long-term solution. Um, we need him back holding in midfield. So I know James Tarkovsky has been linked, um, potentially, and I guess he would be a, a solid option. Like I, I've always thought he's a very solid player and he could suit our style. Um, suit our system, but whether or not we're willing to pay the money that Burnley would want for him um, remains to be seen. So I think a centre-back, potentially a, a left-back as well, um, if we do think that, that Justin and Fuchs are the solution for the rest of the season. And I've always thought, and I've said this a few times on the pod, that we need another striker um, to help back up Vardy. Uh, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I think it's semi-similar to the Spurs situation in terms of like finding a player that will come in and be willing to sit on the bench or like happy to sit on the bench in our system um, and then effective enough off the bench to make it worthwhile. Um, it's a tricky middle ground to be in. And because I, I'm still not convinced Kalechi and I chose the guy, um, maybe Iose Perez is the guy once Madison's back into the team. But, but yeah, so I think a fullback, a central defender, um, and then maybe some help up front, but I, I'm skeptical about the prospects of that. Gotcha. And then, Jake, you've already spent a lot of money, but the Samari links just will not go away. Do you think you'll bring in him or anyone else before the end of the window? Um, no, I don't think we're going to bring in Samari. I think, I think he's a he's a player our recruitment team obviously like, similar to Joel Lindstrom, that we just constantly get linked to him in foreign press, and it does seem to be something in it. Uh, we know that we had a bit, we had a bit accepted in January, but he didn't want to move, and and they've sort of resurfaced. But Isaac Hayden's just signed a new contract, and he was probably the the hole we were filling. He he wanted to leave the club for so long, 
and then he's down to the last year and he signed for like another five years. So he's obviously changed his uh, changed his mind and wants to be at Newcastle. Yeah, I can't see us spending that sort of money. I think we've done most of our big spending. Uh, I think we've currently got a squad size of like 29, so you can only register 25 to play in the Premier League. So we need to move some of them on before we can bring anybody else in, unless they're under 21 loans, which that's probably the market I can see us going into. I can see us bringing in a centre-back uh, and maybe another striker, but they'll probably be loans from other Premier League clubs. I don't think we'll be spending any more money. Um, we were meant to be getting Rob Holding, but now uh, Arteta seems to have changed his mind on that and wants him to stay at Arsenal. So, yeah, I can see us bringing in a centre-back on loan, maybe another striker, but we need to move some players on. Uh, Lejeune left this, this week. I think Muto has is, is got a move lined up. Um, and then we're going to try and uh, shift a couple more and then um, maybe bring in a couple of loans. But, yeah, I, do, I think we've done the, the bulk of our business um, now. All right, well, we will leave things there. Thanks to you guys for coming on and staying with me on as long as we did here past the hour mark. Uh, but if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for having me on again, Kevin. Uh, you can get me uh, on Twitter at Steve McGookin and uh, follow the New York Spurs Club and at NY Spurs. Uh, if you want to read some of my uh, non-football writing, you can get that at northernslant.com. Thanks again. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. You can find me on Twitter at JimNightTweets. Yeah, thanks for listening. You get me on Twitter at JakeJackWithTwoEnds. Uh, I'll post anything that I'm involved in on that. And you can also hear me on the Championship Show on this channel sometimes. So yeah, give that a follow on Twitter at ChampionshipPod. Yep, be sure to do that again at Championship Pod. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. The show is at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. Feel free to contact us about any thoughts, concerns, or complaints regarding the show or the Premier League at large. Uh, but thanks again to you three for coming on today. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.